0: Let's pray. Let's pray over the Word today that God wants to share with us, and so that it is His Word that we're being spoken and His Word that we're hearing. Father, we thank You today that we can worship You and honor You. We thank You today we live in a nation that's free, where we can come and freely and openly declare Your Word and worship You. And so, Father, we don't ever want to take that for granted. We thank You, Lord, that You have given to Your church, to Your your family here on the earth, what we need. You know what we need to be equipped to do your will and to live a life that you have intended for us. And so we know what you've given to us is your word, and that word is spirit in this life, and that you've given to us your spirit, who's the author of that word, to make this word alive and real in our hearts. We thank you for the anointing of your spirit that's upon the word and upon the word that is spoken today. And Father, as best as I know how, I surrender my voice, my heart, my mind to you so that the Spirit of God would speak through my lips and through my heart only what you want to say to us. And Father, we thank you and trust you for that in advance and thank you for the strength that's needed to do this, for to speak it and also to hear it. And thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, sometimes in order to hear what God has to say to us, I'm still trying to grasp what this Philly means, but in in Ephesians chapter 3, one of the verses that I talk about and pray over us all the time is that God would strengthen us by His Spirit in our inner man that Christ might be able to dwell in us. So that's kind of strange because you think, well, Jesus is living in me. Why would I need to be strengthened? So there's something we need to be strengthened for by the Spirit in order to receive and allow Him to work through us. Well, in the same way, I believe we need to be strengthened to be able to hear we're going to talk a little bit about that, about that this morning. We've been talking over the last number of weeks, I think it's been six or seven weeks, about, how to, about the importance of walking by faith and what that really means, which is really learning to pay attention and keep our mind and our eyes focused more on what, the, what, what is not seen that's real, which is the spirit world, than on what is seen. Because we've talked about what we're, the series we're in, and we're getting back into that today, is learning to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Uh, you know, when you drive your car home, you need to you need to be pay attention to what you're, what's in the what's natural. But when it comes to the things of God, walking through the the things that God has for us, we need to learn to walk more aware of what's on the inside of us and more aware of this word than we are. So we're controlled more by what's on the inside than we are by what's on the outside. And so we we have spent time learning to walk by faith is in order to do that you have to walk by faith because walking by faith is walking by not by what your senses tell you but by what this word says and by what's on the inside of you what the word says of what God's done on the inside of you so now we're going to go back to learning alright now we have that understanding let's go back and learn it now how do we walk in the spirit and what does that mean and again the reason why this is so important is everything God's done for us everything God's done for us he put in you when you were born again Your spirit was born of God. It That's why you have you become a child of God. But not just that, God has put his own spirit in you, the Holy Spirit in you. That is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I was so thrilled last week because I had at least two people, maybe it was three if I remember correctly, come to me and say, I'm really getting this. It's really becoming real to me that God really lives in me. And see, I I can tell we don't all have that because we're sitting there saying, hmm... Because when that really becomes real in you and goes off in you, it changes you. It changed 120 people hiding in an upper room until the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Spirit we're talking about. And it changed them. It changed them from people afraid to be found out by the, by the government officials and by the military and having, because of what they'd seen there happen to their leader, to men that women that spilled out in the street and were bold to proclaim it. And then later on it says, and this little handful of people turned the world upside down. And that was only 120 of them, because by the end of the first day, there were another 3,000. And by the end of whatever period, shortly after that, there was another 5,000. It began to explode. Well, there are thousands and th- or millions of us on the earth today. If we all walked in that same power, this thing would come to an end very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. This would come to an end. We would get the job done. He'd come back. We'd go home. And this would all get done. And he would finish his job. So this is so important. And not only that for our own personal lives. Because so many of us, and probably most of us, are going to get to heaven and find out what we missed here. (laughs) What God had for us. The victories God had for us. The times that we saw. Oh, you know how hard it is, Pastor? Well, I know. I go through some of that too. Sometimes, you know, you just have your own little pity party. I had one yesterday for a little while. I didn't invite anybody to it. I I enjoyed myself in it. (laughs) I didn't want any company in it. (laughs) You wouldn't have wanted to be part of it. (laughs) And then I had to get a hold of myself and say, wait a minute, you don't want to do this. This doesn't lead to anything that's very good. And, you know, and so, you know, I had to get hold of it and begin to thank God and be thankful for things that I do have and things, because you start looking at what you don't have, start looking at what's wrong, and that begins to get magnified in your mind. And then, you know, think, poor me, I'm the only one going through this. And then God begins to remind you or bring across people's people across your path that have been dealing with things much more difficult and, and been doing it cheerfully and joyfully. And, and, and then it just, if, if we're sensitive, if we're aware of that, then we repent and let go of it. And God's so gracious. He's so gracious. I'm here today. So he's gracious. I'm proof of it. He'll forgive you and go on with that. So, well, I know we're all tempted to do that. We all go through that. But the point is to let go of it. And so, it's learning to walk in the spirit. It's not walking about, you know, woo, something funny or weird. It's learning to walk, live your life more aware of who it is on the inside and who you are on the inside where God has this victory, has this strength, has whatever it is that you need and provider for you. So that's what this is all about. So let's start out in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to get into something very practical today. We're going to begin to get very practical. Because what we've looked at, as you're finding Galatians 5, what we've looked at over the last several weeks is a story of Israel and how God wanted to take them from, from their bondage in Egypt and bring them into this land he would promised to them. And we saw that that is an, in the Bible as an example for us, because Egypt for us represents the world and the world system that we've been saved out of, and God has a place he wants to take us, a place of walking with him, walking in the Spirit, walking in victory that's in this life, not in heaven, promised land's not heaven and so 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 but we, but, but the journey they went through taught us a lesson because the first generation, the generation that got saved out of Egypt never got into the promised land not because God didn't make it available to them, but because they chose not to walk, they never learned the lessons God had for them, and this is what we talked about last week, God was training them we saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 God was training them every day to learn to walk by trusting Him more than they trust what they saw, and they didn't get the message, they didn't get the lesson, and God every day for a whole year was doing this for them in a number of ways, but especially with the food that He was bringing to them every day and training them to trust Him and take Him at his word and they never learned that lesson so when they got the evidence from the promised land and found out that there was obstacles there there were difficulties in life they were not prepared to take they were not, they were not strengthened enough to take what God said about it strengthened enough by what God was doing in their lives to not be moved by the natural report that they got And because they didn't learn that lesson, they were doomed to stay in the wilderness. God didn't send them back into Egypt, but they couldn't enter into the fullness of what God had for them. He had to wait for the next generation. And I don't want God to have to wait for the next generation to finish what he's given us to do. I want to stand before him and say, well done, you did what you were supposed to do. And I believe that's why we're here on a Sunday morning, because we want to do the same thing. So now we're going to begin to look at how did they get to that place and and what is it we need to learn to do so that we don't fall into the same error. And so what we're going to talk begin to talk about today is how do you develop that spirit man on the inside of you so that he is more real to you than what your natural senses are happening. It doesn't happen because you come to church on, on December 18th and hear a great message and walk out. And say, that's it. That's what I needed. It's something you've got to learn to do day by day, actually throughout the day, but it starts day by day. And that's what we're going to begin to look at. But to do that, let's go back. And we went to Galatians chapter 5. And this is the issue. Verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We've talked about that before. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So every day, every moment that you're not asleep, there's a battle going on within you, between your flesh and your spirit, or the Spirit of God inside of you. It, you'll see there's a capital S in that verse in some translations, and some translations it's a small s. The reason, because in the, in the Greek language, which is what this comes from, in the original transcripts it's all uppercase. So you don't know whether it's capital S, Holy Spirit, or small s. You have to kind of get it by the by the context. But here it doesn't matter, because both of them your flesh is warring against. And so there's a battle going on inside of you all the time between your flesh trying to get its attention and your spirit on the inside of you trying to also go- govern you and guide you and direct you and strengthen you. And so this is the battle and what the reason we're, we're losing it so much of the time is because we have never developed that spirit and it, it's not really, I think it's a misnomer when I woke up this morning thinking about this you, you, you cannot really develop the spirit inside of you what you're developing is a greater awareness of the spirit inside of you, so it's really a developing of your soul. It's the develop. It's a renewing of your mind. It's developing a, a strength within your soul to learn in situations to look inside of you at what the spirit of God is saying on the inside of you, and not be moved by what you see, because you're going to still see the same evidence. You're going to still feel the same pains. You're going to still hear this in the ringing in your ear the same report that the doctor said. All that physical evidence is going to come at you, and it comes. At you through your flesh, through your eyes, your ears, your nose, and your mouth, and whatever other senses I left out, it comes at you all the time, and especially in a crisis, it's screaming at you. But but you've got to train yourself to not be moved, just like the, the, the just like the the spies were moved by what they saw. You've got to train yourself to not be moved by that. It doesn't mean you won't see it. It doesn't mean you won't hear it. And we learned last week it's not that we ignore it. Oh, I don't have a pain in my body. Oh, I don't have a, you know, I know the symptoms are cold. That's not faith. Faith isn't denying what's there. Faith is saying, yeah, I see what's there, but there's a greater truth that's in God's Word. There's a greater truth that is inside of me. There's an overcoming victory on the inside of me. So although I know that's there, I'm not moved by it. I'm not controlled by it. Uh, I think Marilyn Neubauer, when she was here, she uses the distinction between facts and truth. Facts are what's literally there, but truth is what God says about it. And truth trumps facts. If you'll learn to walk in that truth and believe that truth. Alright, so this is the battle that's going on. So how do we begin to develop? So again, the title of the message is Developing Your Spirit, but as I woke up this morning I realized I'd already given them the title. It's really developing your, it's developing your, your soul's strength. To more, be moved by your flesh and your senses and be governed and moved more by what's on the inside of you. To do that, you've got to learn to look inside of you first before you're going to begin to hear what your spirit saying to you or the spirit of God saying to you. So go over to chapter 6 and we're going to look at a principle. There are several principles we're going to look at. We'll only get into the first one today. We may not well get finished with this one today. Because f- these are very practical things we're going to learn this morning. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. That's a good idea, right? God is not mocked. So, you know, whatever you think, it's whatever God says that matters. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit Reap everlasting life. Now, this is the general, the context he's talking about here is really in the in the context of giving, and of, of helping others. But it's a spiritual principle that goes all the way back to Genesis, to, to the principle of the garden of seed time and harvest. God's kingdom operates by sowing seeds and by doing whatever it takes for those seeds to water, to germinate, and then to begin to produce fruit. So the reason we're going to look at this is because the Bible says, if you sow to your flesh, from the flesh you're going to reap corruption, destruction, failure, which is what we're learning to overcome and be victorious over. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will from the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now understand this, when the Bible talks in the New Testament about everlasting life, everlasting life doesn't just refer to a period of time, how long. Because your spirit man's going to live forever, everlastingly somewhere. It's either going to live everlastingly with God, or it's going to live everlastingly in that other place. Because remember, there's no middle holding place. The Bible doesn't talk about a purgatory. That's man's idea, which was originally created to get money from people. Uh, you know some of you many of you were raised in that tradition, and i don 't want to shock you, but when you breathe your last breath here, you go up or you go down, and whichever one you go to, you go there forever and man created this idea of a holy place so that you could pay your indulgences to the church to pay your 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 ungodly <laughs> foul mouth <laughs> uncle Charlie, if you have one, forgive me. You could pay this guy, live his whole life as a reprobate. And by giving some money to the church, you could move him up instead of down because he was in this holding place. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So if you've got Uncle Charlie in that holding place, start praying for somebody that's still here. Anyway, I don't want to go off into all that. All right, praise God. So, So the principle we're learning here is it makes a difference. One of the ways to to learn to strengthen the spirit man on the inside is what we sow into it. What we sow into it. So we're going to talk, begin to talk this morning about sowing into your own spirit and into your own heart. Because that's one of the things the Bible teaches of how you can strengthen inside of you an awareness and a confidence and a faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, you're, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, you're sowing that word into your spirit, man. And, and, you know, it doesn't change the spirit, man, but it changes your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. It strengthens them to be more sensitive to the spirit of the inside of you. And not just be more sensitive, but you've got to be sensitive enough and strong enough in that inner man of yours so that when your when your sense, physical senses are screaming at you, you won't be moved by that. You'll be moved more by what the spirit of God on the inside of you is saying and the word of God that you've sown in your heart is saying to you. Everybody follow me? Okay. So to do that, I want to go back and teach you some basic principle, and it's the principle of the sea. But to do that, I want to teach you another principle, because we're going to look at a parable this morning. And and the Bible and, and Jesus especially taught principles, spiritual excuse me, principles of the spirit realm by using physical examples. Jesus used physical things like in, in parables, physical examples like loaves and fishes or seeds or, or or water. He used those things that in order to communicate a spiritual truth to the people that were listening to him. We talked a bit about this on Wednesday night in our final message on Philemon, because Philemon is also a parable. It's a true story, it's a true letter about a real situation, but it's also a parable for us to learn something from. And I talked to you Wednesday night about the fact what a, par- what, what a parable does and what, or what these examples do is because we're so sense-oriented, when, when, you, when, you ta- when you hear a story or a teaching or an example that's based on our natural senses, not only can we understand it with our mind, but we can begin to experience it. Let me, let me give you an example. That's what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example. Suppose I was trying to teach some principle about being um, uh, suddenly irritated about something or, or kind of shaken by something, uh, irritated by something. And I use the example of somebody taking their fingernails and running them down a blackboard. Some of you can immediately feel something when you hear... But, and I haven't, there's no blackboard here. I'm not actually doing it. But simply the words that describe a physical action... That for some of you, immediately, all of you can, if you're listening, all of you can imagine the idea. But for some of you, that you can feel what I'm saying. And so that using physical, tangible examples, not only can we intellectually understand them, but we can begin to experience what that's like. So that that teaching now begins has a reality to us in our in our emotional life in our in our soulish life, other than just intellectually. Everybody follow me so far? Okay. So that's the idea of using these things, and when I teach, that's what I try to do. The way my mind works is this: is sometimes some of you may get frustrated with me because I'll take one word and just teach on one word, because the way my mind thinks, as I love words, words to me are so exciting; they're containers. And what I do when I teach is I've I've meditated on those words or the Spirit of God will do this to me. It's as if I get inside a word and I begin to describe to you what I'm seeing inside that word. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's one word. And I'm trying to get across to you so that you can leave with an experience of that word, not just an intellectual concept of that word. And so I get frustrated if I can't get down to that level, because sometimes I'm not able to. But but I try to get down to that level, which is why you, uh, it takes me a while sometimes. I'll work, I'll, I'll work a verse. I'll go over and over a verse, because I'm trying to find that point that begins to resonate with us beyond the mind, but down in our emotions, down in our soul, because then it becomes something you've experienced, and you can come back to that. Okay? Everybody with me? Jesus does this. He does this in several places, but one of the greatest examples in John chapter 3... In John chapter 3, you have the story of Nicodemus, a religious, highly trained, educated, intelligent man. One of the Pharisees comes to him at night, and, and, is, and, and Jesus reads the intention, the question of his heart, and says, In order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's where that comes from. And Jesus is, exp- is this, introducing him to a spiritual truth of what has to happen in order to enter the kingdom of God. You have to have a change that takes place on the inside of you, just like the birth of your body, except this birth has to be of a, your spirit man on the inside of you. And the other meaning of that word is that birth has to come from above. And so he's trying to, Jesus is going to introduce Nicodemus. Remember, he is highly trained in religious matters. He's a a Pharisee. He's intelligent. He's sharp when it comes to natural things and mental understanding. But Jesus is trying to introduce him to a spiritual truth that's not entered his mind before. So in order to do that, because Nicodemus is saying, how can I at this age and this size, enter back into my mother's womb and come out again. So that question tells us he didn't get the spiritual truth that Jesus was experiencing because he's thinking on a natural level. And this is what we're talking about. Learning to not just think on a natural level, but also become aware of the spiritual reality inside of us. So Jesus, in order to introduce him to this spiritual truth, uses this example that without... Uh, that background for understanding it, it's easy to miss. He starts talking about the wind. What's that got to do with being born again? He says, well, you know what the wind's like? The wind blows where it wishes. and you, But you can tell it's been there is basically what he's saying. And I think some people have misunderstood this lesson and think what he's saying is you never know where the Spirit's going to lead people. Just blow over here. Uh, Pastor, I love you. I love coming to this church. Oh, you know what? Blow over here. Lord. I was just led to leave and go somewhere else after a week or two. So anyway, I don't want to go off on that. But my point is, that's not what he's talking about. That's un- instability. And God, especially the Spirit of God, are very stable. God doesn't change his mind. Anyway, I don't want to get off onto that. What's he talking about? Well, we've had the wind blow here just over the last few days. We had some strong wind blow. I had something blow off our back porch. That's, the hurricanes haven't moved. Just a little, up, well, to it, but it blew. It's like I got up in the morning and looked out. and said, my goodness, the wind must have blown hard that night. I came into the office and somebody in the office, I think it was Pam, said, wow, did you hear the wind last night? I said, no, I slept through it. But I could tell, I could tell it had been there. I could see some branches on the ground I could see this, this, this shelf out in the middle of, the, of our backyard so Jesus' point is the wind blows where it wishes and you can't tell basically you can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going because you can't see it with your five natural senses you can't see the wind coming so you duck you can't see the wind coming and you can't see where you can't with your five senses see where it's going but that doesn't mean it's not real Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. But we can tell it's been here because we can see the results of it. And Jesus was teaching him in the same way you can't see the Spirit bring this new birth into you. You can't see the Spirit of God come into you and, and conceive in you this new life. This comes from above. You can't see that happen. I remember when our grandson was Was born again. My wife led him to the Lord in the back seat of our car one day. She was driving him somewhere, and he goes home that night. And his father's putting him to bed, and and he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to how did Jesus get in there? And he even drew a picture, I think, to try to work it out because he's trying to in his mind how did Jesus? I believe it because Nema told me that. But how did he get in there? And what's that like for him to be in there? And so so Nicodemus, I mean Jonathan, was how old? I think it was like four or five. Nicodemus was probably in his 50s or 60s, and he's still having trouble understanding it. And so Jesus is trying to use it. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean he's not real. And But the way you can tell that he's real is you can see some results. So the Spirit of God's bringing God's life inside of you ought to begin to produce some results, some changes in us that can gradually be seen. Some With some people it's very dramatic overnight. Some people it's a more gradual process. But there ought to be some change that we see begin to come about in our lives because that's what he's talking about. So Jesus is using that as a phys- as an example to teach a f- spiritual truth. It's also over in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the human body as an example of the body of Christ. And he's talking about the diversity that that just because your body has many different parts doesn't mean it's not one body. And i got to be real careful here because I could really get off on this. And so so the, the body of Christ is the same way. We're all one body in God's eyes. We literally are His body on the earth. And just because you've got different skin color, just because you've got a different background, just because you come from a different nationality, just because you've got different talents and ability, we've got different ages, God brings unity out of that diversity. The spirit of God brings unity out of. The, doesn't mean we. De, it doesn't mean that we deny the the diversity, but we value that diversity in one another because God's using the differences that are you for me for His purposes for the whole benefit of the whole body. So your 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 your, your hair is made of tissue of cells, and and your skin is made of cells, but there are different kinds of cells because they have different purposes. And so, if you're if you're if you're if you run into something sharp, scissors cut your skin. It's going to bleed and hurt. But aren't you glad that your hair's not made of those same kind of cells? Because every time you get a haircut, it would be painful. So, so, but they're all part of your body. So Paul's using that as a physical, tangible example to communicate a spiritual truth. I'm not going to be careful because I'll teach start teaching on these. All right. So now what we're going to begin to look at. is is how to have God's Word have a greater authority in our lives than this world does or anything that has access to us through its senses. And the first thing we're going to look at is we're going to begin to look at this principle of sowing, of the seed. And and to begin with, we need to understand this foundation, that the the Word of God is seed. The kingdom of God operates by sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And, reaping. and I know many of us have heard this in terms of finances, but finance is just one aspect of it. Everything God does to increase our life comes by sowing and by reaping. And the thing about sowing is God gives you the seed, but you determine what you do with the seed. God gives you the seed, but you determine what you do with the seed. And this morning we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at the biggest example of that that I think is in the Bible. But before we do that, let me just give you some background about seeds. And I'm not a, I'm not a farmer and I'm not a great horticulturist. My mother was. But, but um, the principle of seed is, first of all, the seed contains within itself. The seed contains within itself everything that's needed to produce its fruit. And every seed has an intended fruit. The fruit may not be fruit, it may be vegetables or it may be flowers, but every seed, so if you go to the seed catalog, if you're a flower person or a veg, you know a, a garden person and you go to, you, you buy seeds, you go to a seed catalog and, it, and if you want, if you want tomatoes, you go to the section on tom, se- tomato seeds, right? everybody out there? Okay. I know you're not farmers, but I think you understand this part. If you're a flower person and you want to plant, you want to plant—I don't know—tulips or something like that. You go to the seed section that sells tulip bulbs, or you go to the seed section that sells whatever it is. So we know enough to understand that if I want if I want tomatoes, I got to plant tomato seeds. If I want corn, I got to plant corn seeds. If I want you know squash, I got to plant squash seeds. This is not heavy stuff. For, you know, this is not that hard on a crayon. And the same is true spiritually. Because what we're going to learn is the simple principle of planting seeds, cultivating them, and, and, and harvesting them is the principle by which God has ordained, one of the principles by which God has ordained for us to develop the inner man on the inside. And it's important because every day you're sowing. Every day you're sowing and where you are right now in your walk with God in terms of your faith level, in terms of this process we're talking about, is a direct result of what you've sown and and what you've done with what you've sown. So it's important for us to learn These lessons. So, the first thing is the seed contains within itself everything that's necessary to produce the food. It reproduces after its own kind. And it's what you do with that seed that determines what it's going to produce. So, with that in mind, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read down through this whole parable. And we may well not finish this today. And we probably won't do this next week because it's Christmas. And somewhere in here, of all the things Jesus taught, He said, if you grasp this one, then you'll be able to grasp everything else that I said. The implication is, if we don't, then we won't be able to grasp everything that He said and done for us. Verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And He spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. And here's the whole point. Verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a strange statement. Because how many of you have ears? Some of you, you need to go see your doctor. (laughs) Or you're not hearing. So he's obviously not talking about these ears. He who has these ears, let him hear. So apparently it's possible to have physical ears and not hear. Any of you that have children understand that. When it's time to go to bed, when it's time to do the chores, when it's time to get up to go to school, anything they don't want to do, the, the physical vibrations went inside and it struck the eardrum, and there was an electrical impulse that went through all those imaginations inside and got to the to the mind, but it hit a wall there. So all the physical sounds went in, it didn't compute because there was something in their will, listen carefully, there was something in their will that didn't want to accept what they were hearing. So although they physically has heard your words, it's time to go to bed, they didn't hear in their inner man what you said, because they weren't open to it. They didn't want to. So Jesus says, here's the process by which God will cause you to grow and mature He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's going to go on and say some things here that sound very strange, but they're going to relate back to what we just read. His disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, what's interesting, we don't have time to really dwell on this, but earlier in this book, in Matthew, Jesus has said some things, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And then he went, excuse me, and then he went up on the mountain, and the ones that came to him, he asked them, what did all that stuff mean? And he explains it to them. So Jesus would often lay something out there in a parable, and then withdraw. And those that wanted to know what it meant would come and ask him. There's a principle of teaching in there which in the in the Old Testament, God told them to train their children up by by making them do certain things and making them memorize certain things. He says, and when they come of an age and ask you what it means, then teach them. Because why? Then they're ready to understand it. But if you try to teach them something before they're ready to understand it, they're not going to get it because they don't care. So until that time, you just make them do it. You te- do it because I said so. And then, when they begin to have a need to understand it, then you can begin to get... And I think one of the mistakes we make as parents is we try to give them understanding when they're four years old. They don't care to understand it. Understanding's irrelevant to them. They just want to know: Can I get away with it, or can't? Do I have to have to do what she said? All right, be careful. We'll go off on that one too. All right. So his disciples came to him and says, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he answered and said to them. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. Let's stop a second. That can be a misleading... You can misunderstand that. I used to struggle with this. First of all, it tells us there are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That means there are some things that that, that you, just not laid out there for everybody to receive. I used to say, God, why is that? And the Lord began to show me because there are some things you've got to dig deeper to get. Because in the digging of deeper, first of all, it separates those who really are just casual about it. Remember, Jesus said, Don't throw your pearls before swine. In other words, don't give your great deep things, meaningful things to people that don't care about it, that will trample them underfoot. And God does that with his truth, with his revelation. And so we need. there's some things we need to dig in for it. And dig in, first of all, by digging into the Word and by digging into asking the Spirit of God to show us things. Remember 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, there's things in God's heart. He's not revealed to those who love us, but the Spirit's been given to us to reveal them to us. But we've got to go after them. We've got to ask for them. We've got to seek them. And God said, if you seek them, you'll find them. But here he's saying, to you, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been granted. But to those, it hasn't been granted. That sounds like God's exclusive. He says, you know, this group, this group over here, we're going to preach to you today because, you know, I've selected you. But you turkeys over here. I know you came, but, I, you know, I don't care for you as much. as and you guys in the middle, you're still, uh, we don't know about you. No, it almost seems like that's what he's saying, doesn't it? Well, cause you're the select group. And I think some people have used that to teach predestination, that there's some God has chosen, and that's because God's just chosen them. We don't know why. And God's sovereignty—he's chosen some, and some God's sovereignty—he's rejected others, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's not what God's character's like. That's not even what the scriptures say. But there are verses people can take out of context like this and and teach that. And so that's not what he's talking about. He answered and said, because it's been given to you. Remember, he said, Why do you teach it in parables? Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Look at the next verse. For whoever has, whoever is one of those powerful words in the Bible, because whoever means it's up to me. Whoever is not God saying, This select group over here on my left, it's you. Because that's not whoever, that's who I've chosen. But whoever means it's available to whomever will meet the condition. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so I taught this is what I this special Christmas message I did. I just sat down with the camera and my Bible, and I just taught out of my heart something that God put in my heart. And part of it was this God's love for the world. God loves the world. That's not exclusive, is it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... Oh, now we're beginning to draw lines. That whosoever will believe in Him. But whosoever's not on God's end, whosoever's on our end. Whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's another whoever. For whoever has... We're going to talk about what that is in a minute. To him, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have... Even that which he has will be taken away from him. What's that all about? What's the have for whoever has? Well, what did you say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's saying to those who have ears to hear, what he has, more will be given to him. More what? More revelation. More to hear. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, what? Does not have ears to hear, even what he has will be taken away from him. God's not going to take it away from him. We'll see who's going to take it away from him as we get into the parable. Everybody following me so far? All right. Now let's go on. Here's why. And he answered, verse 12. Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, they're so dominated by the physical senses and the physical realm around them, when I speak a spiritual truth to them, they don't get it. Because they're only thinking in carnal, natural terms. And so they miss it. And the reason they miss it, remember we talked about the child who has ears, but he can't hear, you say, go to bed? Why can't he hear? It's not because these ears are plugged up. It's because his will isn't open to it. He's not open to do it. There's some of you, you've been asking God to show you his will for your life, and the reason you're having trouble hearing is because you're not willing to do whatever it is. It's very hard to hear God speaking to us about something when we're not open to hear what it is. The same way it's hard for our children to really hear inside when we don't—they don't—they're not open to do what it is they're going to hear. Getting quiet, they here. So our will, what we're willing to do, has a whole lot to do with what we're willing to hear, and you'll see how that becomes clear in a moment. Because notice, in hearing, they don't hear, and nor do they understand. In them, those that have ears but they don't hear, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing, you will hear and not understand. Seeing, you will see. He was talking was prophesying to Israel at the time. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The what of this people? The hearts of this people have grown dull. The word grow implies a process, something that's happened over a period of time. So this dullness of heart didn't just happen one day, it happened through a process, which we'll talk about as we go forward with this. It happened through a process by which they gradually got duller and duller and duller and duller. I've told this story before, but back when I was in school, um, I had a summer job, which was working in a a wooden door factory that made the plywood doors. And my job was to stack up the sheets of plywood together with my, uh, uh, another guy in an order so that when they send them to the, to the assembly line and they press them, they would glue them and then press them, that they would have matching sheets according to the standard. So my job was to go to this stack of plywood, with again with my partner, and grab this plywood off and put it on a cart in the right order. Well, if you've ever worked with plywood, you know that the the, the face of it's smooth, but the edges of it have splinters sticking out. When I started that job, my hands were so tender and sensitive, I'd never done work like that before. But by the time I finished that summer, I could stick needles in my hand. I had calluses that were so thick. Now, the problem was with that, but that didn't happen the first week. That happened over a period of time and they grew and grew and grew to the point that I literally could stick pins in my hand anywhere and I wouldn't feel them. That was nice if I was going to stick pins in my hand. But the problem was when I went to caress my wife's face or I went to hold her, I couldn't feel her skin. My tender skin would now become insensitive to human touch. And what he's talking about, that can happen to our heart. Our heart can begin to become calloused to the things of God, the voice of God, the word of God. It can begin to become calloused to the seeds of God we're going to learn about. And it's a process of becoming dull. For your hearts have grown dull, insensitive, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes are closed. And and the example he's using is here for generations and generations, Israel was praying and believing that God would send a Messiah. And here he was, standing in front of them, especially the religious leaders who had more knowledge of who he was supposed to be. He was standing in front of them, doing what the prophecy said he was to do, and they completely missed it. Why? Because he didn't come in the form of, that they expected him to come in. They expected him to come as a conquering king to deliver them from the, from the Roman bondage. And he came, instead he came as a suffering servant. And they weren't expecting that. And you know, what you're expecting determines what you'll see. I've had people, I haven't had it recently, but I've had people walk past me in the, in the, in the grocery store until suddenly, wait a minute, oh, that was Pastor John, because I wasn't wearing a suit with a a microphone on my face. I was wearing a pair of jeans and maybe a T-shirt, and they said, oh, we didn't recognize you. Why? Because those of you that don't have a relationship, those of you that, that, that have seen me personally or in the office wearing jeans or something like that, okay, but if you've never seen me like that, you think this is the only thing I ever wear. And I'm going to tell you a secret if you don't tell anybody. I don't sleep in a suit. <laughs> but if that's all you expect, it's easy to miss what you is right in front of you. And so they, they were missing the answer to their prayers, they were missing what they've been believing for and looking for for generations because they were judging things by the outward appearance and not according to the word of god so this is who he's talking about but from this we can learn a lesson okay for their hearts were dull their ears were hard, hard of hearing so they had ears and they had eyes and they were seeing things and they were hearing things but they couldn't understand what they were hearing and their eyes were closed that they lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So in order to heal them and make them whole, not just physically but spiritually, they had to allow Him to do that, to allow Him to do that, the Word of God to do that, they had to hear with their hearts. They had to hear with their hearts. Now, this was talking about Israel in that day, but applies to us. So now He's going to go on and say, verse 16, "...but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear." For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and, and, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now he's going to explain the parable. And this was all kind of a background so that we could understand the full implication of this parable to us. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. Remember we read you earlier that in verse 12 it says, If they don't hear, even what they have heard will be taken away from them. It's not God taking it away. If it hasn't gotten into their heart, the enemy, the Satan, will take it away from you. So if it doesn't get in there, it's going to get taken away. And notice you have to have some understanding of it for it to get in. Okay. He received the word, verse twenty. I'm going to stop there a second. I'm going to tread on dangerous ground here, but it needs to be said. And I'm not looking at anybody, so I'm, I've got my head down. <laughs> it's not only important where you go to church; it can be, it can, it is important where you sit in church. Amen. Amen. But I'm in church, and I learned this the hard way because I, I, I'm not a person that likes to sit up front. I like to sit in the back. But what happens is I discovered that between the back and the front, there are many distractions. There are people, the backs of their heads, that's what they're doing when they're not paying attention. It's just things. I remember sitting in Bible school at one point, and where they, where I sat, because they assigned seating, I was toward the back, and I'm while Brother Hagin is teaching, I'm counting ceiling tiles. <laughs> Two, three, four... And suddenly, wait a minute, what are you doing? You resigned your law practice. You moved your family halfway across the country. You've paid all this price to sit in this classroom and count ceiling tiles. And I had to wake myself up and make myself pay attention. But it was harder from the back than it is from the front. Because in the front, there are fewer distractions. And I'll sell you this clue, the anointing stronger up front. Again, I'm, not, I'm just laying this out there. That that whatever you need to do, because well, this is God's t- temple, this is God's sanctuary. There is an enemy here that wants to steal the word from you so that you don't hear it. Because if you don't hear it, you won't understand it, and it doesn't get sown in there, and the enemy will come and steal it from you. So while we're talking now, there's a battle going on to distract you and keep you from hearing what the Spirit of God wants to say to you. Now, you've already won a big victory because you're here. Because there are others that God had something to say to that got up this morning, looked out at the weather and says, "Mm, I'll go next week. And they don't even stand in church. Well, I'm going to listen online. It's different online. It's different over TV. We can do that. But it's very different when it's live and it's in person. We're talking about a process that can be life and death, a process that's talking about what it takes for God to be able to mature you and grow you so you can live in victory. And what goes on on Sunday morning, what goes on on Wednesday nights, what goes on every time the doors are open, there's teaching, is there's a feeding of the Word of God. One of a shepherd's main responsibility is to feed the sheep. Jesus, when He was recommissioning Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, says, Feed my sheep. That was Peter's main responsibility. My main responsibility as the as the head shepherd here is to feed the sheep, to feed us all. And that is a process which happens live. You can't feed sheep over the internet. Now they can look at it, they can get a taste of it, and if that's all you can do, that's better than watching guiding light and as the stomach turns and whatever else might be on a Sunday morning. But if you can be present when the Word's being taught, there's a greater effectiveness and a greater power. And we're not talking about just, I can say I went to church. We're talking about eternally changing your life, the life of your family, and God being able to work in you what He wants to work in you. There's so much at stake in every morning, every Sunday, every Wednesday night. I said my peace. Okay. All right. And I have nobody in mind. I have nobody in mind it was funny. The applause was closer to the front than it was <laughs> to those in the back. I'm not looking. I can't even see back there anyway because of the of the lighting. I, I I just that's where I used to sit when we first came here. I sat right over there in the back. All right, but God began to deal with me because I became hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, and the more you taste, the hungrier you get. We'll talk about that down the road. Okay, I'm getting I'm I'm digressing here. Okay, I'll leave you alone now. Okay, where were we? Verse um, 19. If anybody hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he whom received the word by the wayside. So the seed never took root. It never germinated. It just fell on the road. It was sown, but it fell on the road. Verse 20, he who received the word, received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Praise God, hallelujah, what a great message that was. Whoa, that is great. What did you hear that message? Oh, wasn't that wonderful? Oh, that was so good and the music was so good. Praise God and walk out, which is wonderful. We're, they received it, they got it. It had an impact on them. But it has yet it has no root, verse 21, it has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now what we're looking here, I'll tell you the secret ahead of time. We're looking at here, in each one of these cases, it's the same seed. So it's a different result, dramatically different result, but it's the same seed. So the difference in the result isn't the seed that was sown. The difference in the results is the condition of the heart the seed was sown in. How open and receptive that heart is. And I really felt led to do this because what we're going to learn is God's primary method of developing that spirituality, that spirit within you, is by the Word of God being sown into your heart. But if you don't understand this process, you'll just, you'll take the word and you won't, put it another way. If you understand this process, then you'll learn how to cooperate with the process God has given to us by which we can grow. If we understand the process. And that's why we're taking the time this morning to go through this. Okay, so this is, so in the first case, the seed falls on the road. Now what's a road? A road's hard whether it was a paved road in that day or just a hard surface. In order for a seed to germinate, which is the first step, it has to get into a soil which will cause moisture to get into it and then the seed will break open and germinate and begin to set roots out. But if it lands on something hard, there's not the proper condition for it to germinate. Even if you water it, there's no soil for it to germinate into. So the seed gets sown but the ground is so hard it doesn't germinate and as a result the birds come and take it away or the enemy comes and take it away. So when your heart is so hard or your mind is so hard or your will is so hard, it doesn't even get into your understanding then the enemy comes and just takes it away. The second con- second is the same seed is sown in soil that is sore there's dirt there but it doesn't have any depth to it. And, 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 the, and, and the seed, but there's enough soil there so it can germinate. So when it germinates, the seed breaks open, and it takes water to do that. We'll talk about that later on. The seed breaks open, and because there's soil there, it will begin to send its first root, which is called a tap root, down into the soil. Because the purpose of a tap root is to do two things. is to go down deep enough so that it can crawl, create some strength And the second thing is to go down where the moisture, where the source of the moisture is. But if the soil is shallow, then it can't go down, it's got to go out. So there are roots, but there's no depth to the roots. Now remember, the soil represents the condition of our heart. The openness of our heart to receive that word. So in this case, the soil's open, the heart's open but it doesn't allow the word to take root and create depth and strength in them. And so in the in the example of the parable when the sun comes up and it becomes blistering hot as in that part of the world it can it does then what happens is there, there's not enough moisture in the roots to feed the plant whatever it is. So it, the moisture in the in the shallow soil that's not easy to say. The moisture in the shallow soil isn't enough to sustain the plant. So it dries up, and when it dries up, it withers up and it dies. That represents a heart that has shallow intentions. I just want to come to church for what I'm going to get out of it. I just want to be blessed. I'm here so God can bless me. But when the tribulation, when trouble comes into our life, and it does come, when persecution may come, when difficulties come... When, when we're not getting the blessing when we think we ought to get the blessing. When we're not prospering when we think we ought to prosper. When we're not receiving what we think we ought to be receiving. Because I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. How come I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get? When when our motive is what we're going to get, there's no depth to our heart. God has blessings for us, but there's no depth to our heart. We become disappointed. Then we become disillusioned and what can happen. We're now vulnerable to discouragement. We're now vulnerable to have being dried up. Because there's no depth of root of the word in us. Why? Not because the word doesn't want to go deep. Because there's no depth of our heart. There's no depth of the desire of our heart for God himself. This is good stuff. I've never taught it like this before. For when a tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. So if you're going through a difficult time, understand the devil doesn't care about you. It's nothing personal. He wants to get the Word out of you because He knows what that Word will do in you if it is allowed to bear fruit in you, if it's allowed to grow and take root and bear fruit in you. He knows what that Word will do, so if He couldn't keep it from getting in your heart, He wants to keep your heart shallow so that it doesn't take root, so when He persecutes you and pressures you. Now, we're going through this because we need to identify where our hearts are because the good news is you can change the condition of your heart. So if you find that, you know, one day you're up and the next day you're down, and it's all based on circumstances, that means you're being dominated by the world system and by what's going on. You're being dominated by your system. where we talked about in the very beginning, you're carnal. Carnal doesn't mean you're a great sinner. Carnal means you're dominated by your natural senses, in spite of who you are on the inside, in spite of the Word of God on the inside. And He notice he uses these things. Oh, I've got to go on, because we've got to go to the last one. Okay. Verse 22. Now he who receives the seed among the thorns... Now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is talking about soil that has greater depth to it. Depth enough so that the seed can germinate and that the roots can go down as well as out. But other things get sown in there. In the, in the example, in the parable, it's wheat, it's tares and weeds. You know, if, if you have a garden, you've got to keep the weeds out. I, I never understood that growing up, because I hated weeding. My mother made us go out and weed her gardens. And I really understand that, because the plants are growing. Why do I need to get the, cause I couldn't tell weeds from the plants anyway. Why do we have to do that? I mean, the, the plants are growing. Because she understood something this parallels about. Because all the, this, these are plants where there's the, the, the roots have grown down, and the roots have grown out. And there's moisture, and there's nutrition. But other things have gotten planted that are also drawing on the moisture and also drawing on the, on the nutrition. And they're competing with those things for the roots that have come from the seed that was sown. And that's why we have to weed our gardens, so it, because it's going to limit how productive that seed is. It will produce fruit, but the fruit won't be as healthy. It won't be as, as luscious. It won't be as beautiful, because other things drew away. And what he's saying here is, look at what it is. So in the power of that, the cares of this world, those are natural things. The cares of them. Not, I've got to to go to a job. That's true, you do. It's the care of it. Because what do we care with? Our heart. Remember Jesus said, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Because God knows you need those things. And He uses the birds of the air. God feeds them. And he uses the lilies of the fields as examples. So as if God takes care of them, how much more we take care of you, because you're His child. And but the whole point there is goes on to talk about seek ye first. That whole section is about what's your heart seeking after. What is your heart seeking after? And that whatever your heart's seeking after determines the condition and the depth of the soil of your heart. And no, because what the enemy wants to sow, if he couldn't keep it from getting in your understanding if he couldn't keep it from being germinating and growing roots, now what he's going to do is try to, he's going to sow other things into your heart to compete with the Word of God in your heart. So you're distracted. So your energy's worn out. So you come to the end of the day and say, I know I need to read my Bible. I'm just too tired. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the energy to go to church today. Now, I know you're here, but sometimes I, I deal with that. I'm not sure I got the energy to go to church. Well, it's my job, I gotta go. And so and and so these are the cares of this world. We care with our heart. So he's trying to sow things, cares into our heart that will draw the energy and the life from the Word of God and, and, and compete with the Word of God. The deceitfulness of riches. So that's trusting with my heart in the things of this world to take care of me. God has no problem having you rich. He doesn't want the riches having your heart. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. And the last one, mercifully, verse 23. But he received the seed on the good ground... Is he who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some one hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, he who has ears to hear, he who has a heart to receive the word. Because we started by looking in Galatians chapter six, and whatever a man sows, God don't God's not mocked. In other words, God has established a principle of what you sow, you reap. And and God's not mocked by saying, I can sow one thing and reap something else. And so we choose what we sow, but we also choose how effective that seed is. Because if we just hear the word, if we just listen to CDs, and we just come and hear it on Sunday morning and say, I can check that off, I did my duty for the week. Then you're hearing the word, but you're not hearing it. Because you know you're hearing it when it begins to have an impact on you. And after a while, it begins to govern decisions that you make. It begins to affect your attitude. Just like yesterday, I threw this nice little pity party. Somewhere along the line, I had to realize, i got to get out of this. Because I know if I keep sowing this in my heart, it's going to affect me today. Let alone affect me in my marriage, and affect my, my relationship with God. God's not going to be mad at me, but I'm going to close my heart to Him. Because I can't have my heart Open to me and closed and open to him at the same time. I can't have my heart open to my wife and and, and open to open to me, seeking after me. And, and the, the scripture for that is in Matthew six nineteen. You can't you can't be seeking mammon and the kingdom of God at the same time. You've got to choose. And so we're talking about the condition of our heart, the openness of our heart to allow this Word to get in us, to allow the seed to get sown in our heart, and, and produce, it will produce in you. It will produce in you the life of God, the growth of God, the, the courage of God, the boldness of God. It will produce in you Christ. But it will only produce it to the extent you sow it, and your heart is open. Now again, this is a process. Remember, their hearts grew dull. Well, your heart may be dull this morning, but if you've heard this at all, you can also saw, because my hand now is no longer callous like that. If you were to stick a pin in me now, I would scream and it would bleed. But on the same token, I can now touch my wife's face and feel her gentle, soft skin. So you can change the dull heart back into a tender heart. You can do that, but it starts with an act of your will, recognizing this is where I am and why this is so important. Well, We're going to pick up with this because this is a foundation. This is a foundation. Jesus says somewhere in here that if you can understand this parable, you can understand everything else that I do. Why? Because this parable teaches us how to receive in our heart what he's saying. Without that, it just goes in one ear, like our kids And right out the other ear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the seed that's been sown in our hearts this morning. And we come to water that seed right now with prayer. Your word says that the spirit of the living God who dwells within us will take this word if we ask him. And he will cause it to grow and germinate. Father, there may be things in our heart right now. Our heart, there may be people here this morning and their hearts are hard. And they're, 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 they're just, nothing's getting in. And they, they know they're hard. There's just no emotion there. They're just hard. They're going through the motions. Father, we thank you that the oil and the water of your spirit can soften hard hearts. I'm a living example of that. And we pray for those, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, begin to soften the hearts of anyone here this morning or within the sound of my voice. Whose hearts have hardened. Give them a hope this morning. That there is a hope. There is a way that God, you do love them, and that you are at work in them if we'll just be willing to let you work in us. Father, there there are those maybe here this morning that there's their hearts are open, but they're they're shallow. And we're just shallow in our desires and intentions. Father, you're the one that can help us create depths to the soul to the soil and to our soul. We pray for them, Father, that first of all, you would give them hope, that Lord, you can deepen the soil. And Lord, there are many of us here this morning, there's depth to our soil, we've been around for a while, we're just continuing to seek you, but we've allowed, because we didn't understand other things, to get sown into our hearts, the cares of this world, which are very real, and they scream at us, whether it's physical, or whether it's financial, or whether it's family, or whatever it is. The cares of this world, Lord, are sown into our hearts and they're they're demanding our energy and our attention, Lord. And we give very little of it to your word that's been sown in our heart. Father, strengthen us and help us to have the strength of your spirit to to overcome and to to to, to overcome and and make wise choices and, and to learn what to allow into our hearts and what not to allow in our hearts. And for those, Father, that may be here where Our hearts are clear and there's depth and there's a fruit. Lord, help us to grow from being 30 to 60 and then eventually produce a hundredfold. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, that you have provided a way for us to grow and mature. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.